Thank you, Malcolm, and good morning, everyone, uh, from me. And we come to the plagues. Jesus, the Lord of the plagues and of COVID-19, a relevant one. So according to Jesus, all of the scriptures are about Jesus. And there's another glorious opportunity today to learn about him and see him for who he really is. <clears throat> and when we do that, we become Christians and we love him for who he is. And here, the Lord is about to end an oppressive regime, which has been going on for 400 years. At least he wounds it severely. And I don't know if you've ever met Christians from uh, Kurdistan or Iran, Iraq. I've met loads over the years, and, or Africa, parts of Africa. The passages like where evil regimes are ended mean an awful lot to them, much more than they do to us comfy Westerners. Especially parts of Joshua. I've met lots of Africans who love reading when evil regimes come to an end by the living God. And it gives them hope. Um, but I'm not sure how much we can appreciate that because we've been so comfortable for so long. Um, the end of tyranny and how good God is. That's a massive one in these chapters. But I think on at least this level this morning, we can worship the living God. How far He goes to protect His church, of which many of you are a part, if not all of you are part of this. And how much the angel of the Lord wants His bride out of slavery, so we can worship forevermore. Nothing stops Jesus doing that. And so, He gives Pharaoh signs. The end is near. Let my people go. I'm not playing with church people. They mean so much to me. And he sends plagues. And it says in chapters 7, 9, and 10 why this is in the Bible. And I'll tell you why. One of the reasons these plagues are in the Bible, it says in chapter 7, verse 17, so that Pharaoh would know who the living God is. That's why plagues happen sometimes on planet Earth. So the Borises of the world, if you're listening, um, there are powers above you, and you're to help us look up to God. That's why these plagues are in the Bible. That's the purpose for Pharaoh, so he would know who the living God is. Also, it says in chapter 9, verse 16, that the whole earth would know who the Lord is. So that's us and your neighbors and the people in the staff room. Plagues are sent in this part of the Bible so that everyone would know there are powers above us, and we're to look up and learn about them and bow the knee. And then the last reason it's in the Bible, according to chapter 10, verse 2, is that the Israelite descendants would know all about it and pass it on to the next generation. And so here we are ticking that box, passing it on to the next generation, that we have a Lord of the plagues. And it's important that we know about it. So let every government ruler, every human and every church member, though we are in the human category as well, learn this pertinent fact in the Bible. Plagues, disasters, illnesses are not necessarily the work of Satan, according to the Bible. Sometimes the mighty hand of God is behind difficulties in planet Earth. And he does it to shake people up to get ready for his kingdom, which lasts forever to shake up nations, to shake up empires, and to get us ready. And so I'm just going to scoot over a few, and then I'm going to talk about COVID-19, and then we'll go home worshiping the Lord. Now, 
The text here that Malcolm read, it reads, when it says, thus says the Lord, it's still, I think, if you read it properly um, and continually from the earlier chapters, the angel, the divine angel, the Son of God, is still talking to Moses. He's passing on the messengers on behalf of his Father in heaven. And we get to staffs turning into snakes. Children, scary one. This is almost like a pre-plague one. The Lord said... To Moses, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working miracles, say to Aaron, take your staff, cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. Now listen to this. Then Pharaoh summoned his wise men with their sorcerers and the magicians of Egypt, and they did the same thing by their sacred arts. And then Aaron's snake ate the Egyptian snakes. What a strange thing. What's that about? Aaron stuffs, becomes a snake. Um, Here we go then. The Egyptian magicians. I want to teach us something on the way to my main point. The Bible teaches that there are magicians in the world who can do evil things and are quite powerful. The Bible teaches that there are angels and demons and spirits and powers and good and evil and light and dark. And these guys in Egypt, their power is not from God. So it's a dark power. It's demonic. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's Satan himself getting involved in this one because of what's at stake. And so as it's my job to teach us, I don't want to scoot over this. It still happens today. People are very powerful. And there are dark sources of spirit light, uh, life. And there are light sources of spiritual light. And I have some horrific stories from my time in the South Wales Valleys of being confronted with powers of darkness and people who have been dabbling with these things. And it's rife in West Wales and in Mid Wales particularly. And such people, there are some people who can perform miracles and signs and palm reading and card reading. And if it's not from Jesus... It, according to this passage, and in other passages in the Bible, is dark. It's dark. And these things are real. And Moses warns us, don't consult witches, soothsayers, warlocks, mystic Meg, the lady in the community center with a scarf on, making it friendly for children to come and find out about their future. Most of them are fake. Some of them aren't. And the Bible says it's dark, like these Egyptian magicians. Is it harmless? No. Why not? Because even if you go to the lovely looking lady in the community center, and believe me, in the South Wales Valleys, it is everywhere. And she's going to tell you about your future. You go and you hear that your grand's all right. She's in Shangri-La in the world to come. And she tells you a message. And the message is, don't forget to feed the cat. And you left the milk out of the fridge. And you all go home going, wow. Thanks, Gran. I did leave the milk out. And it's really mind-blowing how they do it. What's the harm? The harm is you don't go to Jesus to learn about the world to come because you've heard it from Mystic Meg. And what happens if you enter the world to come without Jesus? You enter in darkness because he's light. So the Bible says to these magicians and to everybody else listening, go to Jesus to learn about the world to come. He knows everything. He's wise and he's safe. And the good news is, Aaron's snake 
swallows up those other ones. Do you know why? Because Aaron trusts in Jesus. And Ephesians in the New Testament teaches all of the powers of darkness are under the feet of Jesus and the church. So welcome everybody listening. Come to Jesus. This is the safe place. There are lots of scary things out there. But church gobbles them all up. We're safe in the arms of Jesus. And then there's another funny one. Water into blood. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let people go. In the morning, this, by this you'll, he will know that I am the Lord. Strike the water in the river Nile and it will turn into blood. The fish will die and the Nile will stink and they'll grow weary. What's that about? And how can that teach us about our Lord? This plague comes about by the striking of a staff on the water, the very place where not too long before Hebrew babies lost their life because of Pharaoh. Do you remember that one? Indeed, Moses himself should have died in this river. And the point is, the Lord remembers all evil done against his people. And on Tuesdays, we pray for Christians across the world being persecuted for being Christians. And what does this passage uh, tell us? The Lord cares. And if you've been persecuted for your faith, the Lord cares. In heaven at the moment, according to the book of Revelation, there's a big worship thing. They're all worshiping the Lamb. But there are some Christian martyrs saying, Lord, how long until you avenge our deaths and make it right? How long it's going to happen? You're going to set all evil corruption to right quick. When will you do it? Jesus cares about the persecuted church. And the one other thing I want to say about the water into blood. Don't forget that the Nile was the source of life for the Egyptians and wealth and power. And that very source of life that they were turning to for everything, power, strength, turns into a symbol of judgment. And if anybody's listening today and you don't yet quite trust Jesus, the lesson there is, Anything we turn to for life will turn sour and rotten because it can't sustain the weight that we're putting on it, it to give us life, meaning. Food, sex, the River Nile, money, politics, education, good things in their place. But unless Jesus is our center, because He's Lord, it'll all implode and become bitter down the line. And here's a sad point before I scoot on. At this one, Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not even take it to his heart. I'd hoped that more people would run to Jesus in the last 18 months, as we've lived through a plague, but it's so sad that so many people are still hardening their hearts. Pray for them. I'm scooting on, um, we're skipping the, um, the frogs. You can do that in house group. I'll tell you one thing about the frogs, which is really frightening and a warning to us all. Pharaoh, at this point, it says, please uh, make your God relent. And he has this moment of almost becoming a Christian. 
and trusting in the Lord. But then, when the plague relents, Pharaoh goes right back to where he was. And I call this the God is a spiritual slot machine syndrome. Where we put our coin in when things are going bad, pull the lever, hope he's going to sort out our lives. And if he does, two weeks later we're back. And here's a warning to anybody like that. I have met loads of people in hospital beds who have prayed for a miracle of healing and they've got it either directly or through the skills of the uh, physicians. And they say to me, your God did this for me. I'm going to give my life to him. And then three weeks later when they're healthy, they've gone right back. Is that you? Come to Jesus. Be thankful this day for all he's done in your life. I'm skipping gnats and lice. I'm coming to the flies. This one is amazing. The flies. As we worship God this morning. If you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies. Children, can you picture it? Also the ground on which they stand. For on that day I will set apart in the land of Goshen... My people will dwell there, and the flies shall not touch them. Thus, I will put a division between you and my people. Now, why have I landed on that one? Because there's two reasons why this is glorious. Here's the first one. If the Egyptians wanted to turn to God, they now know exactly where to go. I'm joining them. I'm going over there. I'm not following you anymore, Pharaoh. You're an idiot. I'm going over here. And they could. But the second reason it's glorious. Did you know what the word for flies is in the Bible, in the original language? Zebub. Now what does that remind you of? Beelzebub. Here is a picture of all the satanic forces. A real confrontation. Zebub. That's what this fly thing means. The name of the prince of darkness, the father of lies, the diablos, Satan himself. And where is the safe place from that darkness? Over in church. Children, there are lots of scary things in the world. Join church. It's the safe place. Adults, if you want to be free from satanic darkness and scariness, and his sinful life and slavery. Church. Jesus. The head of the church. I'm skipping the death of the livestock. And the hail. And the locusts. And I'm landing on the last one. You try covering four and a half chapters in 20 minutes on a Sunday. Any questions though? Email them over or ask your house group leaders. I'm touching on this one because this one's powerful. Darkness darkness. I think this is an under, underestimated plague. I think this is a real bad one. Real scary. Are you scared of the dark? I am. Most people are. They don't admit it. I am. There was pitch darkness all in the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. This is an unusual darkness, one that could be felt. Have you ever felt that? 
No one was able to see anyone in their own houses. Tangible, barren, fruitless, dark, Egypt. No life, no light. And as we approach the last plague next week, the firstborn death, this darkness comes again for three days. And when the firstborn Son of God dies on Calvary, in the New Testament, darkness falls for three hours. According to Matthew 27, darkness is a sign of judgment. Because without Jesus, everybody listening this morning, there's only darkness. Because we just sang, light of the world. You came down into darkness. Because Jesus is the light of the world. And on that cross, all darkness went on him. And he took it all away and risen again with light. And he shares that with everybody. He's the light of the world. And in Psalm chapter 19, one of my favorite psalms, it's a psalm about the Redeemer, the rock. The Redeemer and the rock is another name for Jesus. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses calls God the rock about 20 times. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 to 4, the Apostle Paul says, Christ was the rock that was with them in Egypt. Jesus Christ. So Psalm 19 is a song about Jesus. And do you know what it says? Every day when the sun rises, S-U-N, after a night of darkness, it rises and it says this, like a champion bridegroom chasing away darkness for the bride. Praise be to the rock and the redeemer. So a song about Jesus says he rises every morning and chases away darkness. Because darkness is scary. It's a scary reminder that happens every night what life without Jesus is like. Do you know why you go to sleep every night? It's so you can practice dying. You go to sleep gently now in my arms, says God, every night. And then maybe I'll wake you up in the morning and you'll rise again and have a little resurrection. Because one day you're going to fall asleep. That's why the Bible calls death falling asleep. You go to sleep and then you'll rise again with Jesus on the last day. We'll just practice that every night. For after the news at 10, we'll do the whole you're going to die and rise again thing. The whole darkness is going to be outside your house. But don't worry, I've got you, you're in the light. That's why you go to sleep every night. It's written into your bodies, the resurrection. Why did God invent birds to sing the gospel every morning? I made it through the night. And the robin, he's the first one to get going. Slightly irritating sometimes. Because he's got the biggest eyes relatively to his body. The robins, they're the first to go nuts for Jesus. Right. I made it through the night of darkness. The sun has risen again. Lord Jesus, you are my light. You've got us through the patches of darkness. Psalm 30 says, weeping tarries in the night, but joy comes in the morning. The sun is risen. I think we should make all the birds church members, but we'll do that years down the line when I've settled in a bit. And so I close with small little points, three little ones. Let me punch this home. What about us, Owen? Because we're living through a plague. What, 
what do we make of it all? How do we act? What is God doing? Here are my three little answers. I think I know. I'm not sure I know. Let's trust Jesus anyway. I think I know. There are times in the Bible where God is behind tragedy. So I think maybe I know what he's doing. In the book of Zechariah, it's when the world is at peace that the Lord gets angry and he sends disaster. Do you know why? Because the Lord doesn't want the world being at peace with itself if they're still in their sin and at war with him. So in Zechariah, tough times happen to shake people up because the Lord wants to save them. And sometimes he brings people to ruin. So they're not trusting in anything anymore. And they say, Lord, I need you. And he saves. And sometimes that is behind wars and illnesses and plagues. In the book of Revelation, Jesus, the Lamb, pours out vials of war on earth. And chaos starts happening. But he's in full control. Full control with a view to save people's souls. My friend said recently, you know you've all had your vaccines? What happened there? You took a mini little plague so that the big one won't get you. There's a little plague inside you. That's not a very nice way of putting it, is it? But you're now inoculated to the big one, we hope. And why does the Lord allow difficulties here? It's so we get reminded, oh, there's a little judgment here because there's a massive one coming that I need to get ready for. So I'll have a little one here and then I'll be ready for that one. Sometimes the Lord is behind it. I think I know. But maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't know too much. And here's why I don't want us to overassess and try and analyze everything about COVID-19 and what the Lord is saying specifically to everyone. You know why? Because in Luke chapter 13, a tower falls on 18 people and kills them. And people say to Jesus, did the tower fall on those people because they sinned in a special way and God wants to teach them a special lesson uh, and he's trying to do something directly and they need to realize it? And he says, no. No, sometimes towers just fall and it's in the will of God. No specific lesson there. And in John chapter 19, a child is born blind and lots of religious people gather around going, hmm, is that child born blind with this ailment and illness because his parents have sinned in a special way? And Jesus says, no. No, it's just part of God's glorious, vast plan one day. Leave it with him. And so I don't want us to become a church adding extra burdens upon people who are suffering, going, yeah, well, maybe the Lord's doing this, 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 and this, and this, and you need to repent of this, and this, and this, you did this wrong. Too many sermons have been like that that I've listened to over the last 18 months. Although I do know this, as I wrap up, lots of disasters in the world are our fault. They're on us, not God. Sometimes buildings collapse because we haven't listened to God who says, don't cut corners in your job. Sometimes people suffer because we don't listen to God when he says, give people more money, you rich Westerners. Some people have health problems because they drink 35 cans of beer a day. Oh, and why is God persecuting me? I think there are some other reasons before we go looking there as to why you're in the state that you are. So I think I know, I don't really know. In the end, we trust Jesus. The world is under judgment and bondage and decay. Jesus is the one sent to sort all that mess out. He is sorting it out. He can save your soul today. The judgment of sin will never fall upon you. And then one day he's going to sort your bodies out and give those back to you. He's going to sort this world out and give that back to us. And there'll be no more tears. All the curse has fallen on the Lord Jesus 
Christ. And I think the Egyptians learned that the hard way. So we come to Jesus, we say, we love you, Lord. Today, thank you for everything. We're safe in your arms. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.